welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast, co-hosted by Kyle Caldwell and Sam Benstead. Coming up on the podcast is an interview with the Mobius Investment Trust. I chatted to co-manager Carlos Harbenberg. The trust, which is a member of Interactive Investors Super 60 list, was launched just over three and a half years ago, and it's been a strong performer. However, due to its quality growth focus, it's not been immune to the market rotation that's been taking place in markets over the past six months or so. On the back of this, one of the questions I asked Carlos was to give his thoughts on how the trust has fared over that short time period. But firstly, as usual, myself and Sam are going to chat through a couple of news items related to funds and investment trusts. So Sam, let's start off with dividends. Dividends have been out in the, out in the cold for a couple of years, but are now becoming more fashionable. So what's driven this switch in sentiment? Yeah, that's right. So companies are now paying out big dividends again. Fund manager Janice Henderson calculated that companies returned $302 billion, that's about £240 billion, to shareholders in the first quarter of this year, an 11% increase on last year. This was a record for the first three months of the year. This growth was due to lower payouts last year following disruption caused by the pandemic and also reflected the robust post-COVID economic rebound that took place in much of the world in 2021 and into early 2022. The numbers were so impressive that Janice Henderson boosted its forecast for global dividends this year. For 2022, it now expects global dividends to reach $1.54 trillion, an increase of about 5% on last year. It previously forecasted growth of around 3%. In the UK, oil companies were the main driver of the increase, but the fund manager said that mining groups would be the main contributor for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's right, Sam. Dividends have been staging a recovery following the scores of dividend cuts, suspensions and cancellations that took place in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. While that is a lesson that dividends are far from guaranteed, it does not surprise me that dividend stocks have been holding up relatively well in the volatile market backdrop, as the dividend provides an element of a safety net for the stock's valuation, providing, of course, that that dividend is paid. Fund investors have been back on the hunt for dividends. The latest statistics from the Investment Association show that the global equity income sector was the most popular fund sector in April. Yeah, and it also showed that UK equity income funds actually were shunned by investors. So April marks another month of outflows for the sector, uh, with investors also taking money out of UK equity funds more generally. That's right. It's a, it's a sector that's been out of favour for a very long time. Um, over the past year, it's posted outflows in every single month. April marked a, a bit of an improvement as the amount of money withdrawn from the sector did fall month on month. Uh, but, however, investors, they could be missing a trick here. The UK stock market has many high-yielding stocks, including those in the mining, energy and banking sectors. This makes it one of the top-yielding equity markets in the world, and as a result, UK equity income funds, they have higher yields than their global rivals. The median dividend yield in the sector is 3.8% compared to 2.4% for global equity income funds. And the same pattern plays out for investment trusts. Sam, you covered a recent piece of research from Stifle, the stockbroker, which named the 25 equity investment trusts that are yielding over 4%. And Of those 25 trusts, there were a lot more choice among UK trusts compared to global. Yeah, that's right. So there were plenty of UK stocks trusts yielding more than 4%. 
This included Super 60 member City of London, which yields about 4.5%. City of London is a dividend hero, having raised its payout for 55 consecutive years. Asian shares yielded more, however, according to Stifle. It found that Henderson Far East Income was the top yielder at around 8%. JP Morgan China Growth and Income was close to that at 6.4%. And JP Morgan Japan Small Cap Growth and Income yields 6%. These high yields reflect poor share price performance as well as high dividends. Other interesting specialist investment areas with big yields were mining stocks, biotechnology stocks and frontier markets. As you mentioned, Sam, those high yields, they're high for a reason. I mean, they, they do offer investors the prospect of higher income today, but there are no guarantees that these high yields will result in market-beating returns from a total return perspective when both capital and income are combined. And of course, dividend growth may also turn out to be more subdued for a high-yielding fund or trust versus a lower-yielding fund or trust. And of course, dividends, as as we've seen during the COVID-19 pandemic, they can be cut or cancelled without notice. So overall, the risk is that, yes, there may be higher income on offer today, but this could lead to a disappointing outcome tomorrow. We're next going to look at tips and tricks to help investors cope in a bear market, which was a recent piece that Sam wrote for the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. Sam, could you give a quick run through of the five key tips that you came up with following conversations that you had with a number of investment veterans? Sure. To start, I think it would be helpful to explain what a bear market is. So in exact terms, this is a 20% drop from peak to trough. But more generally, investors use the term to refer to an extended period of stock market falls, even if the drop is not quite 20%. To survive one, here is what professionals recommended. First, don't try and call the bottom. It's impossible to know how long a bear market will last and how far markets will fall. Second, they say stick to your investment process. For retail investors, this means investing monthly and not doing anything you wouldn't normally do, such as day trading. Third, they said don't have outlandish expectations for returns. Bear markets can trundle along for years and returns may well be lower than the inflation rate. Fourth, be ready for a bounce back. No one knows when shares will rebound, so make sure you own some risky assets that will rally. Finally, they said don't listen to commentators. In bear markets, the media is packed with commentators calling for new lows and telling investors how much worse it could get. They do this so they don't look stupid when markets go lower, but in reality, they know no more than you or I about what the future holds. And of those five, Sam, which one would you pick out as the the most important? For me, the most important one would be sticking with your investment process and investing even though stocks are falling. Long-term returns are made in bear markets when stocks are cheaper, but sticking to a plan when markets fall is one of the most challenging things for a retail investor to do. One way to take the emotion out of decision-making is to set up monthly direct debits into a basket of investment funds. II allows customers to do this for free. Those are great points, Sam. And as history shows, for those willing to take a long-term perspective, short-term dips and volatility in a stock market end up being a mere footnote in the grand scheme of things. And indeed, at times of stock market turbulence, it's worth remembering that volatility is part of the deal of investing in equities and it's the price that investors pay for the fact that over the long run, 
putting money into shares rather than leaving it in cash will potentially yield greater rewards. And finally, we recently published the top 10 most bought funds and investment trusts among interactive investor customers in May. There's a real divide at the moment, with some investors taking risk off the table and others attempting to buy low. For instance, caution is reflected by the wealth preservation trusts being in high demand. Three in the top 10 investment trusts are Ruffer Investment Company, Capital Gearing and Personal Assets. And in terms of attempting to try and buy low, both Scottish Mortgage and Bailey Gifford American continue to prove popular. Both have been under the cosh over the past six months or so, given their focus on high growth companies, including technology firms. Another example of investors trying to take advantage of share price weakness, which was a new entry in May to the top 10 trust table, was Tritax Big Box REIT. This trust, which specialises in UK logistic assets, has seen its share price dip since late April, which Sam separately wrote about. It's not the only trust in that sector that has come under pressure. Sam, could you run through what's been going on here? Yeah, so Logistic and Warehouse Trust, whose main clients are the e-commerce industry, have had their share prices clobbered recently because Amazon said it was scaling back investment in its delivery network. Investors are worried that the boom in online sales boosted by the pandemic and working from home could be slowing or even coming to an end. This would have knock-on effects for rents and therefore income, as well as the value of warehouses themselves. And one of the key reasons why investors have been taking a closer look at Tritax Big Box REIT is due to the fact that its hefty premium has fallen and some some investors have been taking advantage of that to, um, to purchase shares at a cheaper price. Those attempting to buy low will be doing so in the belief that the warehouse success story of the pandemic will continue. Our fund manager interview for this episode is Carlos Hardenberg, fund manager of the Mobius Investment Trust. So Carlos, to start off with, could you run through the main qualities and attributes you like to see a business possess to win a place in your highly concentrated portfolio of around 25 to 30 stocks? Yes, indeed. Um, And you mentioned already a very important word, which is quality. We are focused on uh, emerging and frontier markets um, and currently are particularly interested in in the mid-cap segment. We are unconstrained, but our sweet spot at the moment and over the past four years has been the mid-cap segment. Here, we look at companies which bring, number one, a robust uh, capital structure, a robust and conservative capital structure. We're looking at margin leaders. We're looking at compounders that have done well throughout the business cycle. And we're looking uh, at companies which are run by sort of magnets of talent, entrepreneurs uh, who attract some of the best people uh, in their in their field. Um, and uh, this typically translates into superior margins, into superior um, uh, returns as well. So overall, quality Um, all around the quality of the people that run the business. And there's also a strong preference actually for companies uh, which still have a significant degree of family ownership. The Trust focuses on environmental, social and governance issues. Could you talk us through how that is all implemented? I understand that part of the process is um, teaming up with businesses that are open to positive change to make ESG improvement? The the focus really is 
first and foremost on identifying companies uh, which meet our quality criteria. So they have to have an excellent track record. They have to have to bring the right financial uh, performance that they generated over the past years. And of course, a strong focus on um, the, the um, uh, healthiness of the balance sheet and the capital structure overall. Now, now that is that is the the, the core focus. Um, uh, the ESG um, focus, which we sort of identified or determined as the second pillar, um, goes hand in hand uh, with those factors. And what we really do is because we are focusing on companies which are smaller, which often don't have a rating yet by the large agencies or even the small agencies, um, we really have to go. Um, Right, we have to start right from the beginning and um, uh, assist companies and partner up with companies on their path towards obtaining an ESG rating eventually. And it's really about setting the right priorities, understanding what's important, what the key areas are that the company should focus on from transparency, reporting, composition of the boards, um, all the way uh, to um, many of their internal policies. Um, and sometimes uh, very simple things like you're know, putting together a proper investor relations uh, function. And it's really um, based on collaboration and a proactive and friendly approach where we are quite mindful about the different cultures um, which you meet around the world. And when you're putting the portfolio together, how much does the wider macroeconomic backdrop influence your investment decisions? I notice the trust has um, only 10% in China. Is this, for example, down to concerns over political risk um, following its crackdowns into its own technology and education sectors last summer? Or is it more down to not finding enough stock-specific opportunities in China? Um, yes, yeah, so you're, you're spot on there. The wider macroeconomic um, conditions and, back, uh, and, and, and sort of surroundings um, that are impacting the, the individual businesses play a substantial, significant role uh, in our investment process. So we have a clear preference for companies which operate in benign and supportive macroeconomic conditions where currencies are well managed where the regulatory environment can be understood and can be managed. Uh, and also, of course, where uh, general governance related issues um, are, um, are manageable. So we've avoided the countries where this was not um, the, the case. We've not invested in Russia. We've not invested in uh, any of the ex-Soviet Union countries. Uh, we've not invested in places like Argentina or other selected frontier markets because of those concerns. So um, it's, it's our experience uh, as active bottom-up investors is, is uh, very clear. Uh, even if you are a great stock picker, um, but you choose the wrong country, uh, you will hardly ever make a proper return. Um, so, you know, those two factors are absolutely essential, picking the right opportunities, the right companies in the right surroundings. So having, um, you know, around 10% of the portfolio in China at the moment, is that a reflection that you're quite bearish on that country? Um, we've, we've been very skeptical and cautious about investing in China right from the beginning. We are now four years into the strategy. And as you know, we've invested in China for, for a long, long time. 
Um, there are many reasons uh, why investors have to be and need to be careful about investing in China. Uh, of course, we've um, learned many, many lessons over the last decades. Uh, uh, and we've seen over the last years that, you know, the regulatory environment is changing. Uh, politics are always uh, volatile and impacting businesses. Um, but also uh, what probably concerns us the most is the quality of the accounts um the um the conditions we are we are finding uh when it comes to uh the, the sort of audited um financial accounts which are you know still leave a lot to be desired uh, so that's why we stayed stayed away also management quality is often um really not there transparency is not there uh and therefore we had a strong preference for companies in taiwan or korea that give us exposure to China. Here you get very good governance. Here you get proper transparency, independent board representation, um, and overall much more robust business models. Uh, so, so yes, indeed, we've been careful about China. We continue to be very uh, cautious about investing in China. We've mainly uh, invested, as I said, via Taiwan, Korea, but also via Hong Kong, where we have one listed company which is operating in, in China with much better governance. Well, being cautious on China has not been a detractor from performance um, since IPO, because obviously the trust was launched just over three and a half years ago, and it's been a very strong performer. However, it's not been immune to the market rotation that's been taking place in recent months. What's your assessment of how the trust has performed since IPO and over the past six months? Yes, indeed. So we really tried to focus uh, in a very disciplined way on, on long-term returns and ensuring that we are positioned so that we can benefit um, from uh, what we think are the most attractive business opportunities uh, in, our, in, our, um, in the universe that we're looking at. Now, since inception, uh, that's almost four years, uh, we generated uh, very robust numbers, uh, 30%. Uh, over those four years with significant um, outperformance against the peer group and uh, the benchmarks. Um, last six months, uh, a year to date, this year, of course, we're impacted by what's happening around the world. Of course, uh, there's been um, an impact felt across all um, company segments in all countries and all currencies. Um, but overall, because of the quality focus, because of the nature of the companies, uh, we've actually uh, done done well. We also, as I said, uh, had no exposure to to Russia, where many funds had to write off their investments completely. Some of the biggest drawdowns this year were related to the bottlenecks uh, related to the zero COVID policy in China. And that, of course, had an impact also on some of our companies in, in Taiwan. Um, nevertheless, we remain very optimistic that the situation there will be resolved and that there's going to be a mean reversion. We do not think it's the interest of the Chinese to keep their trade routes uh, locked uh, for, for a very long time. Uh, so we think uh, we've, uh, that in the second half, we'll see more and more good news coming through. The Chinese are doing a lot to support the economy um, and we are really well positioned. Uh, to benefit from these long-term opportunities in, in emerging markets. And have you been responding to the sort of pickup in market volatility over the past couple of months? Have you been making changes to the portfolio? Yes. I mean, first of all, we bought additional shares of the trust ourselves. We see this as a good uh, opportunity. Um, and yes, so we've been adding, selectively adding 
to companies which have um, corrected uh, for really no proper reason, where the business model is still very much intact. And as I said, these are companies which have strong balance sheets, which are well, which are sort of well prepared and conservatively run. Uh, so we, if we get the chance to um, add to existing positions at attractive prices, we we do that and we've done that over the last uh, three months, in fact. The cash position um, on the trust is just under 10%. Is this higher than usual? And does it reflect that you're keeping some powder dry, given that stock markets are volatile at the moment? Um, it's it's both. Um, we we always sort of, we, we take a relatively flexible approach to cash. Uh, so that means we don't uh, force ourselves to constantly have uh, less than 3% or so. Um, we have a number of uh, current purchases which are taking place in the market by orders out there. Uh, and we're being very disciplined about the le- entry level or the, the actual price level. So, uh, of course, we are trying to um, best utilize the current volatility to ensure we are buying at the lowest possible uh, level. Over the long term, we should be fully invested um, in most phases. But when you run a concentrated strategy like ours, if you take, um, for example, profits in a 7 8% position, of course, that translates into immediate cash. Um, and the buying, as I said, um, we, we don't buy in a rush. And you've, um, you've already answered the final question that we ask for managers, because um, you mentioned earlier that you've been increasing your personal holding in the trust. Um, and our final question is, do you personally invest in the Mobius Investment Trust? I was wondering if you could explain why you think it is important that you have some skin in the game. Oh, it it makes it makes um, a, a, a a massive difference uh, if you are invested in the strategy which you manage. Uh, the beauty is we only manage one strategy, so there's an absolute alignment of interest. We see ourselves as partners of our investors, as co-investors, um, and we wake up every day with the same worries, with the same excitement, um, with full alignment. So. Um, I think um, it should always be the case that uh, fund managers should have a stake in their own fund. Uh, it um, has a, a large impact on behavior, um, and uh, we expect the same from all of our team members. And yes, uh, Mark and myself, we are both significant shareholders and um, have added, I personally have added um, uh, at the beginning of this year further to my holdings. That's all public. Carlos, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for for today. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mobius Investment Trust. Please do give us a like and subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. <laughs>